let's jump into our text for today. Matthew chapter 6. Remember that during this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting, that we're very simply, we're just asking God for more of himself. We're asking God to do a revival, a spiritual awakening among each and every one of our lives personally. And as you join us on this fast, and by the way, we're at day 14. If you want to join us for this last stretch, seven days, and however God leads you to fast, I encourage you to jump in with us on this because God hears us when we seek him. But A.W. Tozier spoke about revival saying this, the desire to desire revival and at the same time neglect prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another. We can't expect to see a movement of God among us if we are not consistently meeting in private and public prayer. Revival has never happened in history without prayer at its center. So we're focusing these next couple of weeks on prayer. So we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. So look with me, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, and we'll pick up where we left off last week, which is the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to pause right there this morning. And let me pray for us today. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, help us pray. Teach us to pray, oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we looked last week at verses 5 through 8, we talked about how to prepare to pray. Now today, in verses 9 and 10, we're going to talk about how to begin in prayer. Now, we all know the value of starting well in any endeavor. If you start well, it just seems to move you on throughout the rest of the process well. All of us want to get up in the morning. We want to start our days well. We all know those mornings where things don't start off well, it seems to hinder the rest of our day. We all want to start well when we're uh, having starting a new job or maybe first day of school or maybe it's a first date. You want to start well. You want to go to pick up Angela and call her Susan at the front door. This is not going to work out well for anybody. Olympic sprinters spend a huge amount of time talking about the importance of starting off the blocks. They say that the race is won and lost at the start. And we all know the, how, how well, how huge starting is a key to success. So here in verses 9 and 10 of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus addresses some major aspects to help us start well in prayer. Now we need to recognize here in the Lord's Prayer, as he's using these words, there's two ways to see the Lord's Prayer. He's giving us first some specificity in how to pray, and then also some symbolism in how to pray. In the specificity side, the reality is, is Jesus is teaching us a good prayer to pray. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer as a prayer from your heart to God. Now, if you're just saying it rotely, just kind of going through the motions, then that's not the way God would intend you to do that. But if you're praying sincerely from your heart to the Lord, the Lord's Prayer, then yes, you can do that. And so there's some specific ways to pray in this text. But then also as we look at the Lord's Prayer, there's also some symbolic pictures here. That the words that Jesus is using here may not necessarily just always be teaching us how to recite a prayer, but giving us a path to follow, kind of showing us the heart of what prayer can look like. So today, we're going to focus a little bit on both today. We're going to see the symbolism and the specificity. But with that being said, if you're keeping notes today, I want to give us some truths that can help us start well in our moments of prayer. Our first is this, if you're keeping notes, 
To start well in prayer, we must acknowledge our real relationship with God. As we talked about from verses 5 through 8 last week, understanding of our real loving relationship with our Father is vital to having a healthy, thriving prayer life. And Jesus continues in that same theme here at the very beginning, calling us to begin our times in prayer, saying, Our Father who are in heaven. A real, sincere, grounded, immovable, thankful understanding of the gospel of Jesus that brings us from being sinful people separated from God to being a people who have been brought near to God as His children through His sacrifice is a non-negotiable in our prayer life. If you don't know God as Father because you never really put your faith in Him, then prayer will always be some religious work. It will always be some emotional exercise of well-being that is never filled with real confidence, faith, and comfort because unless you know God as your Father, you're not really praying, you're just scattering words to the wind. Jesus is calling us here to pray to our Father, pray to this God in whom we have a relationship with. My comfort in prayer will always be influenced by my connection with God. If I know that I am in the Father, then I know that I can be there. So let me give you a couple of facts that can help you focus on God as your Father as you begin to pray. The first is this. To focus on God as your Father in prayer, we need to address God as Father. This passage reminds us that our words matter. Here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus is calling His disciples to pray And he specifically calls them to call out to God, saying, Our Father. Now, let me say this here today. There's nothing wrong with calling out to God as Father, using the name of Jesus as you pray, Dear Jesus, Dear God, Dear Lord, Dear Holy Spirit. All these are good biblical terms. And I would say, listen, they're all headed to the same mailbox, okay? But that being said, it is important, I believe, at the entry level of your prayer, that it would be helpful for all of us if we begin prayer in saying, Dear Father. Calling out to our Father. I believe it's helpful for a few reasons. I think first it's scriptural. We know calling out to our God as Father is scriptural because we see it all over the Bible. People calling out to God in prayer as Father. Jesus did it in John chapter 17 verse 1. He always called out to God saying, Father. We see in John 17 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul spoke about how Christians can call God as Father. He says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. In the Hebrew, that's in the original language there, this is saying Daddy. We can call out to God as Daddy. And when it comes to prayer, and just like any other action in life, Following Scripture is always our best bet. So addressing God as Father, it's scriptural. It's also special. We should never forget the truth that us being able to call God Father is something miraculous. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, Paul speaks about the incredible work of God. That even though we have to personally receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior... But for those of us who know Him, there was a time in which God was sovereignly working to draw us to Himself even from the foundation of the world. It says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And just as He chose us in Him, 
before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Now listen to verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the kind intention of his will. He's saying before the foundation of the world was ever created, God was drawing us to himself that we may call him Father. Church family, this is something we should never get over. This is something that we should never get beyond. This the fact that we went from being enemies of God to children of God should always stir our hearts. And then addressing God as Father simply just sets our tempo for prayer. When I know that God is my Father, it makes me more apt to pursue Him, to linger with Him. Why? Because I know I belong there. I'm invited there. As a pastor, I have to spend a lot of time sometimes in study. I have to sequester myself sometimes and study in my office. And then there's times where I have important meetings, counseling meetings and those things. So I, I can spend a lot of time in my office and some very important times there. So praise the Lord, our, our secretaries and Miss Lisa and those, they do a really good job of, uh, of helping me manage that and that time in private. But there are people who really don't have to ask permission to come into that office. There's four individuals that always have an invite. And first, her name is Kimberly Reno, and she's invited at any time in that office. And then right after them, there's three other people that always have an opportunity to step into that place with me. And it is Ella Reno, it is Jackson Reno, and one day, Mr. Isaiah Reno will understand. And the reason why that they have a special access to me and to my time is because to them, I'm not Pastor Zach. To them, I'm not Brother Zach. To them, I'm not Dr. Reno. To them, I am simply Daddy. And Daddy has always said, you are welcome with me. Church family, here today, there's no special requirements that are needed or necessary for you to come before your Father because in Jesus, He said the door is always open. Amen. And then the second way to help us focus on God as our Father in prayer is not just to address Him as Father, but also to account for how God became your father. This means to go to the gospel in your mind as you pray. The goodness of the gospel is always the grounding for all actions in the Christian life, especially in prayer. The reality is, is that for every one of us as Christian in this world, looking for the redemption to come, we all still battle with the sins of the flesh, the weakness of our faith, and the lies of the enemy. Can I get an amen to that here today? But any and all of us, any and all of these things at times can distract even the most faithful followers of Jesus for feeling like they are unworthy to approach God in prayer. However, the truth of the gospel is not that I had to be worthy enough to come to Jesus, but that Jesus, King Jesus, was worthy enough to come to me. He came. He humbled himself as king and came and stepped into my world. This is the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 speaks about the gospel. We talked about this last week. But now in Christ Jesus, you formerly who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In my, regularly in my times in prayer. Because I want to help you this morning. I want to help coach you some in prayer regularly in my personal time in prayer. I have to go back to the gospel. I have to remind myself of what Jesus did for me. I have to remind myself that, yes, I in my flesh am not worthy to be there. But what Jesus has done for me has made me worthy to be there. He has proclaimed me his son. There's an old hymn that's called The Family of God. 
And the third verse in that hymn is one of my favorites. It says, From the door of an orphanage to the house of a king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags under riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. And that is what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes you just have to remind yourself this in prayer. And sometimes, can I say, one of the best things that you can do to go to the gospel, to account for the gospel in prayer, is just to sing unto the Lord. If you ever find yourself where I can't get into the presence of God, just start worshiping the Lord. Start singing amazing grace unto the Lord. Start saying Jesus paid it all. Start singing out to the Lord. And I promise you, so often God will meet you there. So our first truth this morning in being able to come into the presence of God is you've got to know that you are, He is your Father. And then secondly, to start well in prayer, we must honor God. In our society today, we are not very good at honoring people. We're actually much better at humbling others or tearing down others. However, giving honor is something that is right in the eyes of God. To honor someone is to acknowledge publicly and privately the good in their person, position, or actions. It is to give them what they rightly deserve. And God is by far and above the first person that we are called to honor in our lives. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was speaking about the foundation of a sinful heart in Romans chapter 1, he mentioned that not honoring God was one of the roots of all of that sin. He said in Romans 1 verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. God's people should always incorporate giving honor to Him in our lives and in our prayers. And this is where we get to the next part of that verse. Jesus says for us to pray in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. In every aspect of our prayer, any time that we're coming before God in prayer, we need to come into His presence, and then once there, we need to give Him full honor and praise and glory. It's one thing for us to know that in Jesus I can boldly approach God, but it's another thing to know that though I can boldly approach God, I am not God, and I am not like God. God is God, and He is worthy of all of our praise and adoration. And while the overall direction of Jesus calling us to pray, hallowed be your name, means to honor God, he gives us a couple of clues there on how to do that. So you may be saying, again, I want this to be practical. How do you hallowed the name of God? Well, first, you've got to understand what those words mean. The word hallowed essentially means to make holy, to distinguish, to separate, or to lift high. Hallowing God is letting God know that you know that he is God And we are not. To lift him up is to say, oh God, you are God and I am not. And the second clue to honoring God in this text is not just to hallowed or lift up God, but to hallowed and lift up the name of God. Now throughout scriptures, the name of God is very important. There's several places in scripture where the name of God actually helps us understand his character and who he is. And so often throughout Scripture, we see the name of God translated in a couple of common ways. In the Old Testament, the two most common ways are Jehovah or Yahweh and Elohim. And throughout Scripture, we see moments where God stepped into the lives of people or when God introduced Himself to people. You can see them recognizing God, giving honor to God's name according to certain things that He did. Like the word Jehovah Jireh 
means Jehovah, God. Jireh means provider. It's say the, the, great, the one true God is a great providing God. So to say, oh God, I praise you as Jehovah Jireh, you're saying, God, you have provided. The same is true we see in Genesis chapter 17. When God spoke to Abraham, he introduced himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, which is short for Elohim, Shaddai, which means God Almighty. He's saying that I am the God who is almighty, who is all-powerful. So it recognizes the greater, the greater functionality of God, who God is. So to hallow the name of God means to express to them, yes, God, you are the one true God. I'm lifting you up because of X, because of what he has done, because of in certain ways. And for us, this often looks like us giving him praise. Oh, God, I praise you because you are the God who saved me. You are the God who ransomed me. You are the God who stepped into my life or provided for me. This is praising and adoring and honoring the name of God. Psalm 66 verse 2 says, Sing to the Lord the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Honoring God in prayer could look like you being asked to give a speech at the banquet of someone in their honor that you know very well and that you care very dearly for. A good example of that would be if somebody did a banquet in honor of Kyle Reno, my brother, and I was asked to give a speech in his honor. Well, first I would start out and just say who he is. I would say, Kyle Reno, he is a passionate lover of Jesus. That he's an incredible husband to his loving wife of 15 years. And he's an incredible father to his five children. Yes, that is true. Amen. Prayers to Kyle Reno today. Then I would praise God for what he has done. Let's say Kyle Reno has served at three churches in Alabama and Mississippi and Arkansas. All of which he has left behind disciples and a legacy of pointing others to Jesus. He has traveled to over a dozen nations proclaiming the gospel to some who have never heard the name of Jesus. He has planted a church in Arkansas that is thriving and serving, and he has honored God in multiple different ways. These are things that he has done. They haven't necessarily affected me personally, but they're worthy of giving him honor of. But then finally, at some point in that speech, I would likely turn to my big brother and just tell him what he means to me personally. I would tell him how he's been there for me my entire life. I would tell him how he's more than a brother but a friend. I would tell him how much I love him and appreciate him for who he is. And ultimately, this would be honoring to my brother. Now, church family, let me bring this back to prayer. This is how God deserves to be honored in our moments of prayer with him. I want to give you that pathway of how you can do that. First, to honor and praise God in your prayers, you've got to praise Him for simply who He is. This is you telling God the things that only God is. You can say, oh God, you are holy. Oh God, you are just. Oh God, you are good and loving and merciful and wonderful and mighty and strong and any other attributes that come to your mind through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, this is who you are. And then secondly, you may begin to honor God for the things that He has done around you. Now, this may not necessarily affect you personally, but there are things that you know of God, so you praise Him for it. You can say, oh God, you created the world. Oh God, you hold it together. Oh God, you create and sustain life. Oh God, you heal and you sustain. You raise the dead. God, you are God. Can I say something to you today? This is why it's so good to stay in the Bible. Because the more that you know about who God is, the more that you can praise Him. 
If you've been reading through the one-year Bible just this last week, you've been reading through Exodus, and so you could say, oh God, I praise you that you're the God who parted the Red Sea. Oh God, I praise you that you're the God who brought the plagues upon Egypt. Oh God, you're the God who brings down manna from heaven and quail in the evening. Oh God, you're the God who can bring water from the rock, and you're the God who hears the cries of your people and sets your people free. And then finally, then you get to, oh God, I'm going to praise you. Not for just who you are and what you've done, but what you've done in me. Oh God, I want to praise you. That you're the God who saved me. Who found me at 14 years old. Oh God, I'm going to praise you that you walked with me through hard seasons of my life and you never left my side. Oh God, I want to praise you for how you've blessed me for the godly wife and my children. Oh God, I want to thank you for all the friends and the individuals that you've put in my life to lead me and guide me and direct me. And again, you just start welling up in your heart all of this thankfulness that is given to God. And church, let me tell you something. This is when a prayer time turns into a moment with God. A little side note here is that when this is often the moment in prayer when prayers go from being prayers to now you've entered into the presence of God. Psalms 22 verse 3 says, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. That word enthroned can be translated inhabited. God shows up when His people pray. I remember being in college. Woke up one morning, and I just had one of those mornings where I was just felt far from God. You ever had one of those mornings you wake up? And I didn't know of anything offhand. There was no outrageous sin or anything that was going on. I just felt far and distant from God. I'd felt that way for a couple of days. I got up that morning, and I was pouring my, my cereal into my bowl, was pouring my breakfast, and, and it was like finally it got on me so much that I just couldn't do normal anymore. I didn't want to go one more step during the day without walking in the presence of God. And so I pushed the cereal to the side, and I hit my knees in my little kitchen. And in that little kitchen, I just started saying, Oh, God, you're holy. Oh, God, I praise you that you're good. Oh, God, I praise you that you're merciful. And, I, and the Holy Spirit of God started rising up within me all that God is and all that God has been to me. And in that little college kitchen, the Spirit of God filled that place. And it was like I was abiding in the presence of my King and my soul was nourished and refreshed. Church, some of you this morning may just be a moment with God, a moment of praise, a moment of hallowing His name from entering into the presence of God. Thirdly, this morning, if you're keeping notes, our third truth this morning to help us start well in prayer is then we must declare our full desire for God. You can see the call, the need for us to desire God in prayer as we see at the beginning of verse 10. Jesus said, Your kingdom come. This is that longing for God. When we come before God in prayer, God needs to see in our hearts that we are there to meet with Him. That we're not flippantly just going through a moment. We're there to meet with God. Now the concept of the kingdom of God is seen throughout scriptures. It's especially prominent in the book of Matthew. But it was actually the first sermon that Jesus preached. In Mark chapter 1 verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, to be able to understand how to pray for the kingdom of God, you got to know what it means. The kingdom of God is a vast theological concept that we don't have a whole lot of time to get into here today, but just let me summarize. The kingdom of God refers to a moment in future history 
When the realized rule and reign of God on the earth is fully established, Jesus is worshipped as king, and all sin and darkness is no more. When you're praying for the kingdom of God to come, you're asking for King Jesus to step in. So praying for the kingdom of God is essentially saying, Oh God, I want your rule and reign to be fully established right now in my life. Now to compare the kingdom of God versus our present reality, the Bible says that the future reality of the kingdom of God is different than our present. Right now, we live in a present world where the kingdom of God has come, but is also still coming. We see this all throughout Scripture. Jesus said the kingdom of God has come, but it is still coming. Right now, presently, Satan and darkness has a temporary rule upon the earth. But when Jesus comes at his second coming, he will rid all darkness of all the earth and he will be established as king. But right now in that in-between time, we are living in that already, not yet. The kingdom of God has come, but it is also still coming. So praying for the kingdom of God is essentially saying, Jesus, I want you to show up right now. It's essentially praying the same thing that John prayed. In closing Revelations, in Revelations twenty two twenty, that says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Praying, oh God, your kingdom come, is to say, God, I want you. And this is a right starting place in all prayers. You're saying, God, I desire you. It's essentially the same thing as what the psalmist is saying in Psalms 42, 1. That says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you. Church family, I'd like to ask us something today. Are we panting for God? Does our prayers show that we are hungry for more of God? Is it seen in what we pray for? I'll say this for you here today. Often, hungering and longing for God is the tension that we live in as believers. Is that I have everything I need in Jesus right now, but I also know that it will not be fully complete until I see him face to face. And so there's always going to be that hungry and that longing. I am fully satisfied, but yet at the same time, I'm fully hungry for you. But if you're here today and you're having a hard time praying for the kingdom of God to come, let me give you a few reasons why that may be. We often don't seek and desire God when our hearts are too tied to the world. It's hard to pray for the kingdom of God when you're pretty happy with the kingdom of this world. You've got a good job. You've got a nice house. You're, everything, in, everything in your life is well. And you're pretty enamored in this life. And church family, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessings that God has given us in this life. But as a believer, those things should just be temporal passing joys compared to the inner longing of seeing Jesus as our king. And the Bible makes it real clear. We cannot have two loves in our life? Do we long for Jesus more than we long for things in this world? And is that represented in our prayers? Secondly, we often don't seek and desire the kingdom of God when our hands are too engaged in sin. See, when the kingdom of God shows up, everything's laid bare. When the king shows up, he's inspecting all the ranks. and He will lay eyes on all of us as if he doesn't already see it, which he does. But sometimes it's hard to pray for the kingdom of God to come if we know that our lives are compromised. One of the greatest hindrances to genuine, passionate pursuit of God in prayer is compromise and unconfessed sin. And then we often don't seek and desire God when our heads or our minds are getting in the way. And this usually comes in two different forms. 
First, people believe lies. People don't seek God because they believe lies from the enemy that are not. I, I, I genuinely believe in pastoring that most of my counseling is undoing lies of religion, lies of poor theology, lies about God that are not true. And then another aspect of our head gets in the way is learning. And there's nothing wrong with learning. The Bible says that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, all of our mind, our souls, and our strength. I, I love theology, and I love going into the depths of learning who God is. But, but here's the truth. All studies should just lead us to a different, a deeper relationship with God. If our study is just leading us to greater understanding and intellectual gain about God, but not leading us to God, then sometimes it's a poor substitute. It's actually getting in the way of seeking God. Our relationships with God are supposed to be about savoring God, not just studying God. And I would say, church family, if any of these things in your life today are in the way, your hearts love the world too much, your hands are too engaged in sin, and maybe your head is getting in the way, whatever that may be, run from those things today and run to Jesus because He's better. He's far better. I remember uh, when I was a teenager... I'd recently given my life to Christ, and I was excited, man, about Jesus. And I loved to worship. I, lo- I still love to worship, love to sing unto the Lord. Sometimes when I'm on the front row, I just close my eyes, and I just picture that I'm singing to Jesus or that Jesus is standing right there. But I remember there are very few songs that I didn't like. I kind of like all songs. I like new and old. And, and, uh, but, but there was a song that came out that was called Jesus Come Quickly. The song said, Jesus, come quickly. Jesus, reign over us. Jesus, watch over us and smile on what you see. And I just didn't like that song. I'd heard it for a couple weeks in a row, and it just didn't settle well with me. And finally, one Wednesday night after church, I was on my way home. I was just about to get to Horse Branch Hill right there from Gardendale and the Morrison. And it was so overwhelming to me why I didn't like this song that I pulled my little truck over on the side of the road, and I said, God, what is wrong with me? Why do I not like that song? And it was as if the Holy Spirit just spoke right into that little teenage heart and said, this was that. You don't like it because it's not true. Because you don't want to pray for me to come quickly. Because you got a lot of good going on. Life is good. All is well. You are too tied to this world. And I remember in that little 89 Silverado pickup truck, I said, Jesus, I want you more than anything else in the world. And I could feel my heart set free. Church, tonight or this morning, if you want to meet with God, we've got to be a people who say, God, I long for you. And then our final truth this morning, to start well in prayer... We must fully surrender to God. In the latter portion of verse 10, Jesus is teaching some of the most beautiful words of surrender when he calls us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the greatest prayer of surrender in the New Testament, in my opinion. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying for the kingdom of God to come is essentially praying, God, I want you. But then if you add that extra portion, your will be done, you're essentially praying, it's a little bit more personal. When you pray your kingdom come, you're asking for God. But when you pray your will be done, you're asking for God by all means necessary. You're saying, God, I want your kingdom, and that means anything in me that would hinder your kingdom, let it get out of the way. God, your will be done, not mine. Praying your will be done is essentially praying my will be gone. My will be done away with. 
To invite God to come do whatever He desires in your life. To be willing to instantly obey God's call to take up or lay down anything in your life. To let God have full authority in your life is what full surrender looks like. And this is what we must realize this morning, church. We have bought into a lie today so often that this type of faith is extraordinary. We often live so compromised that for somebody to fully live, your kingdom come, your will be done, to live fully surrendered, to walk up to a Christian, anybody in the room today, and say, is your life fully surrendered to Jesus? And not to get a positive answer from most of the people in the room, if not all of us, to say, yes, absolutely. But to those who do live that way, we say, wow, they're extraordinary. They're super Christians. And the fact is, that it's not the gospel. It's not extraordinary. It's just the Christian life. It's what Jesus called us to. To live my life gone for you is the gospel. Mark chapter 8, verses 33 and 35. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That means death. My will be done. Death, oh God. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will gain it. By the way, Jesus doesn't just call you to die. He calls you to die that you may live. He calls you to life. Paul said this in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. And the life I live by faith now, I live in light of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul gives a great prayer. In Romans 12, 1 of what this looks like. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your life a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I don't have time to go into all of it, but in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says the tabernacle is a shadow of what a relationship with Jesus would look like. It's all meant symbolically to point us to Jesus. And the outer to get into the tabernacle, even get into the outer court, there was only one entrance. It was one wide, beautiful gate. It represents Jesus. Jesus said, I am the door. This is how we come into the presence of God. So again, our Father, man, we can only come to God through Jesus. Once we stepped into the tabernacle, the first thing that they would see was the brazen altar. And this was that giant fire pit where they would present their lambs, their sacrifices, these things to honor God. In Jesus now, we don't trust in the blood of lambs and goats and bulls for those things could never fully forgive sin. They just passed it over to the next year, to the next year, to the next year. But Jesus came and he gave himself as a sacrifice for us to fully complete that for us. But now our response is to come as a living sacrifice. I don't have to die. Jesus has died on my behalf. But I have to present myself before God as though I'm dead. Oh God, here is my life. What does full surrender look like? Jesus, I'm laying my life on the altar. It's all yours. I know we've talked about a lot this morning. I'm going to ask Brother Ron to come. We've talked about starting in prayer. Father. Oh, Father. I honor you. Hallowed be your name. Forgive praise to God. This is what starting in prayer looks like. Father, I give praise to you. Your kingdom come. God, I want you. And your will be done. Oh God, here's my whole life. Church, if we all left here today 
found a quiet place this afternoon and used that as a pathway to go meet with God, I believe the presence of God would meet in the hearts and homes of every person in this room. And church, this is why we're fasting. This is why we're praying. It's because there's more. There's more to be found in Jesus. There's more to be found in His presence. Every time I feel like I've gone as far as I can go, I get around somebody or I get inside the Scriptures where I see there's more. There's more to know of Jesus. There's more to love of Jesus. There's more to be in His presence. And we've all been around those people. You get around those people that just make you want to know Jesus more. The first church that I ever served at full-time was at Farmstead Baptist Church in Jasper, Alabama. And I remember a saint of God named Vaughn Hendon. He was in his 80s, a big stately man. He had, had beautiful, thick, white hair. He had this deep, booming voice. We used to call him Moses. He reminded me of Charlton Heston on Ten Commandments. But Vaughn knew how to go get with Jesus. We would meet on Tuesday nights in prayer. We would all pray, but I remember to hear Vaughn pray was something special. He would pray and weep as he talked about Jesus, as he celebrated his Savior. But then when he started talking about how good God was to him, he would start to laugh through his tears. And he would laugh and talk to Jesus. He would weep and talk to Jesus. And everybody who was around him just knew that God had just stepped in the room, that he was talking not to some distant God, but a friend. And it made me want to know Jesus more. Church family, if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He's the Lord of your life, then I want you to know something here today. He wants more of you. He wants to give Himself more to you. So today, I want to encourage you, don't just listen about prayer, but go meet with Jesus today. Go meet with Jesus this week. Take these steps we talked about today. Let them be your first steps and just pray these in this week before we close I want to give you this opportunity you can't pray to God as a father that you don't know again I mentioned earlier in the first service we had somebody give their life to Jesus and I want to ask you here today do you know Jesus as your Lord and as your father or is God some distant God some religious being that's not what Jesus came for God loved you He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for Zach's sin, for Kimberly's sin, for Wade's sin, for all of our sin, that we may know Him personally to bring you into the presence of God. And all you got to do to receive that, the Bible says, is to believe by faith and receive Him as your Savior. As many as received Him, to those He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed upon His name. I want to invite you to bow just for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Ask all the saints of God here today to pray. I want to ask you this question here today. Is there anyone today who does not know Jesus as their Savior and Lord? And if that's you here today, I believe the Holy Spirit's letting you know right now. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just call it to Him right there where you are in faith. Say, dear Jesus... I don't know you. I don't really know you. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sin because you love me. And I want you to be my father. So I ask you, save me, oh God. I make you the Lord of my life. Save me, Jesus. Your entire life 
And eternity can change today if you'll call out to Jesus. Say, save me, oh God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. This is between just me and you. But if you ask Jesus to save you this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you. This is between you and I. But if you asked him to save you this morning, would you just look up at me and make eye contact with me today? Again, this is going to stay between just me and you. Is that you here this morning? Just glance up right there where you are as I survey the room. Is that you here today? Is that you here? Amen. Others in this room, is that you here this morning? Would you just glance up? Just look at me right there where you are. Nobody's looking around. Say, Pastor Zach, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. Just glance up right there where you are. Just keep your eyes on me just for a moment. What I'm going to encourage you to do is that if you looked up in these next few moments as we sing, take that little, just a couple of ways that you can make that known. We need to talk to you about this. We're going to talk to you about what these next steps look like. Write that on that little blue connect card. There's a little box you can check. I gave my life to Christ. You can put that in one of the offering plates or one of the connection boxes as you leave. You can come see me personally at our little guest central moment here in just a little bit. Or you can come grab one of these pastors up front today and say you gave your life to Jesus. Now, church family, as we sing, let's all ask, let's all ask God that God draw us deeper. This, draw us deeper in prayer this week. Let us meet with you. So let's stand together and let's sing this to the Lord.